On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're catching up with Bill Hader's neurotic hitman in the return of Barry to Sky Atlantic, following Elizabeth Moss in the hunt for a serial killer in Apple's Shining Girls, and discovering whether talent agency drama can survive the translation from French to English in Prime Video's Call My Agent adaptation 10%. But on top of all that, we not only have the magnificent Elizabeth Moss on the show to talk all things Shining Girls, but Barry himself, Mr. Bill Hader, dropped by to answer Beth's birthday wish and sit down for a chat with her. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly guide to the very best the small screen has to offer, a life raft, if you will, helping navigate the increasingly murky water of peak TV. And joining me, as ever, in this endeavour, is my trusty crew, including a man who was shocked to discover that he'd lost 200,000 Twitter followers over the first (laughs) quarter of this year, which must have come as quite a surprise when held up against his projected gain of 2.5 million. It's Mr. Boyd Hilton. (laughs) Very good. Topical introduction yes. there. Yes. Um, the biggest one day drop in history. That's right, in the history of your Twitter account. Yeah. 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 Also with us, of course, is a woman who may not have Boyd's follower account, but she can almost certainly tell us the detrimental effect they're all having on the environment. It is, of course, <laughs> Pilot TV's very own dirty streamer, Beth Webb. <laughs> I think for new listeners, we do need to clarify that I did host a documentary about the environmental impacts of uh, of streaming because otherwise it makes it sound like I have a it sounds green like, lighting job. Or <laughs> either that or it sounds like some sort of slightly <laughs> weird fetish that no one's yeah. quite sure what it is. Environmental teleport. Dirty streaming, know. is that a thing? I don't know. I don't think I want to know. Uh, anyway, anyway... Uh, how are we all? Are we good? Slightly bruised now after uh, that, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very well. We will get on to all things uh, Netflix, I suspect, in due course. Mm. Uh, but in the meantime, is there anything you would like to share? What have you been watching on the television? Well, I've come back from New York. And um, was it was that, was it New York for the last one? Yes. It's the first time we've been in a studio together for weeks. I thought so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, loads to watch, um, loads to mention that I've watched. Sorry, James. All right, know strap him. You've got like a hard out in about an hour and a half or something like that. Um, first of all, Gerard Carmichael, were you aware of his work? No. Gerard Carmichael is an American comedian. Um, he had his own sitcom a couple of years ago, um, around for three seasons, and he's got an HBO special uh, called Rothaniel, which is his actual real first name. And it's on the Sky Comedy slash now at the moment. And it is the best one-off comedy special I have seen in years. Whoa. And that includes the likes of Bo Burnham's Inside, which famously was brilliant. It's big words, boys. Big words. Um, Bo Burnham directed this. So that's an interesting point. And Hannah Gadsby, brilliant. It's, but it is definitely within that world yeah, yeah, of confessional yeah. comedy. And I was going to say stand-up comedy. He actually sits down for the whole thing in this kind of intimate um, uh, setting where they filmed it in front of an audience. So he's sitting there. I know that doesn't sound particularly important, but actually it turns out to be incredibly important. It just changes the whole dynamic because he's sitting there being very intense. Yeah. It is intense. Um, it deals with his secrets within his family. Um, it deals with secrets within his own life, his sexuality. But the less you know about it, the better. So that's all I'm going to say. Ooh. But fucking watch it. It's amazing. It's on Netflix. That's on and it's on Sky Comedy. Slash Sky now. Comedy and what's it called again? It's called Nath- Rothaniel. 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 R O T H A N E L. Okay. Then you've got. Um, I wanted to mention the thief, his wife, and the canoe. Eddie Marsan. Eddie Marsan and Monica Dolan, absolute geniuses, brilliantly written by Chris Lang. This is the story of John and Anne Darwin. He who faked his own death for to get 
basically still insurance money. She kind of went along with it, but I think there is a in in Chris Lang's brilliant script. You could tell that he, the coercive nature mm. of the relationship. Um, also popping up in the in, in towards the end of it, Carl Pilkington. Carl Pilkington, which I did not know. <laughs> Carl Pilkington suddenly arrives as a policeman who interrogates them, and he's great. And you know what I was thinking was because because I think it, it connects with the way that um, Chris Lang makes kind of writes. And if you like, show runs Unforgotten. You know how I, I always go on about this, how I feel like Unforgotten is influenced by things like 24 Hours in Police Custody on Channel 4, flying the wall shows about what police are actually like rather than the slick, you know, detectives that have they're mm. depicted in TV drama. And Carl Pilkington is so real, weirdly, as this not slick detective um, policeman who, who interrogates. It's, it's a brilliant bit of casting. Oh, wow. So it's a total coup, I thought. I thought it worked really well. Yeah. Um, but the whole, and the whole thing was brilliant. Yeah. Expect... Uh, all nominations left, front, and center. Wow! For that, I think it's on ITV Play. In case you missed it, um, Better Call Saul first two episodes. Yeah, yeah. Which we which we didn't get previews of. Oh, Absolute dream. Have you watched them yet? First one yeah. felt like. And I'm pretty proud of myself for managing to fall mm. asleep in, in one of the tensest second episodes <laughs> of telly this year, but somehow managed to do it. Wow. I, f- I really can I really can sleep anywhere. I slept through Sicario once, which I was pretty That's proud of. not Amazing. possible. No. <laughs> I managed to just, just conk out. Uh, so I've, I've got to go back, back okay. and watch the second okay. episode. First one, obviously brilliant though. Yeah. But we were saying in our, in our, in our spoiler special yeah. that we did with um, Chris, um, uh, that Chris Hewitt, that um, how the filmmaking has got better and better this oh, is like yeah. lush beautiful yeah. spectacular there's one shot in the opening episode where the car is driving in the in the huge big kind of deserty landscape oh do you remember oh my god it's like it's, a Jane Campion yeah, film right. yeah. absolutely it's fucking I, yeah. I think it's incredible how they've yeah. just stepped up the whole ambition of the show yeah. right now it's now like this incredible every shot is like a kind of work of art yeah. and definitely was not like that to start with <laughs> you know? it was I, stunning I, yeah so I love the way they've done that and, and it just is genuinely gripping and brilliant to have them back and yeah, yeah. I'm already fantastic on that um, I've watched uh, Hull Razors, which is what, which is James's <laughs> favourite. Making this up now. Everyone's, you are making this, this up. This is like no. <laughs> this is um, uh, Terry, of course, championed it because it is about northern working class people. Yeah, women. Um, uh, it, but it's really, really good. It's like unlike anything else out there in terms of TV comedy. It's really it's difficult to explain why, but tonally and the way they it kind of. Just the whole whole kind of pace of it, it's really unusual. Right. So it just feels really different to me. So you might, you know, if you're if you're James and you kind of think, oh, this is going to be like all the other shows that deal with working class, well, not there are that many of them, but, you know, the ones that he's aware of, it's completely different to yeah. all those. It's got a unique flavour of its Would own. Would I enjoy this show, um, Well, we, I think you might. There's a little bit. I mean, it's in a double bill with Derry Girls at the moment, right? Okay. And... You, you know, you've had your mind open to comedy by Derry Girls yeah. to some extent. So you just carry on watching this afterwards, straight afterwards, and give it a go. It's really well done and, and, and kind of well observed and, and funny. So, yeah, I would, you know, go in with an open mind. Did you watch Outer oh. Range? No. Because no. we didn't re- review no. this last week no. because it's one of these no. things where it just, much like I think the subject matter, materialised from outer space on <laughs> Prime much, Video. Yeah. Yeah. And we were like, oh, okay, but Josh Brolin, you know, know, Imogen Poots, it's it's Cowboys and Aliens, essentially. I know, but have but you watched it? I haven't watched no. it, it's, and it's very much up my alley, so I yes. definitely want to watch yes. it, but I haven't had a chance yet. The first I heard about it, this is absolutely true, the first I heard about this show was, I was walking to Times Square in New York. Of course you were, <laughs> 
And there's a gigantic um, ad for it in the middle so of the screen. I'm like, what the fuck is that? It says Prime Video. I'm like, I didn't know about this. It's Josh Brolin. Then I started reading up on it and it's not had very good reviews in America. It still feels like something I will enjoy more than Hull Racers, though. I mean, that's because you're very close-minded. And finally, in the Finish Shows You Finished, Series You Finished slot, Chivalry. I've watched all of Chivalry. It's Steve Coogan and Sarah Soleimani. And it is quite spectacular. <gasps> it's got some, it really, so we saw the first, we made the first available. Episode three has a big thing, a big sequence that is astonishing. Wow. Um, to, I won't spoil it involving Sarah Solomon's character. Wanda Sykes becomes a key figure in it and hey. she is fucking hilarious and scary. She is that she is like a place that's completely amoral studio executive. Um, and that's fantastic. Okay. Then the, the kind of, the whole kind of romantic comedy element of it is like ends up being in the final episode without spoiling it at all. Quite spectacular, almost kind of Richard Curtis-esque thing, which I loved. That sounds like a different show. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, but it somehow (laughs) melds all these elements. Yeah, Yeah. like the kind of a satire of Hollywood's, you know, um, amorality. Mm. Yeah. The Me Too, what it's like in the Me Too era to negotiate relationships and all of that. And this big rom commy thing that happens in the, in in the end. So I, I loved it, basically. I, I have to say, I enjoyed your interview with Sarah Solomon oh, when I was much. editing last week's episode. She's brilliant. Yeah, she, yeah she's a very interesting discussion about consent and yeah. Me Too and kind of making TV and film in the in the modern era. Yeah. I thought it was great. Also, yeah. I enjoyed talk. Any any discussion that takes place inside a fascist shed uh, yes. is, is very, yeah, she's got very a much my shed bag. in her house in mm. LA that her, her, her husband um, set up for her. Yeah. I thought that was genius. <laughs> yeah, she, 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 she had mine camp. Yeah, there was a copy of mine camp, and he was on video calls with his office. Like, um, should I move that <laughs> for research purposes? Yeah. Um, but I think chivalry is an absolute triumph, and it really is that thing. You no, know, the cliche thing that people say about um, series sometimes, which is it's like a it's like a three hour movie, like a six I episode that. movie. I know, but it really is like that. I mean, yeah. just the way it kind of the structure of it and the way it plays out. Um, it could have just been like a two and a half hour movie, but works brilliantly as a six part comedy. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's well worth a proper binge to enjoy it all in one go. I would say. Okay, so there's so, yeah. only three episodes. Six, six episodes. Six Sorry, episodes. Th- three hours. So six half hours. Right. And in fact, less with ads. It's probably like, it ends up being, you know, like two and two and a half, two and three quarter hours reviewing, to be precise. Um, yeah, so that's my, uh, that is my lot pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Beth, anything you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, we did Better Call Saul. I missed Dairy Girls this week, which I'm annoyed at myself for because I've seen that it's just gone down wonderfully. Maybe it's good that I'm sort of drawing it out because I just don't want it to end, even though yeah. I respect it for ending. But we can now talk about Big Liam. Yes. Ah, we can talk yes. about Big Liam, which yeah. we couldn't oh, talk about before. We couldn't, and now we can, and it was absolutely brilliant. Wasn't it magnificent? Well, because I thought, obviously, it was you call the duty lads, and I think they set that up, so you're expecting that, and then yeah. it wasn't. It's Liam Neeson. I was expecting Ted Hastings to yes. walk through the door. It can yeah. be said. Adrian Dunbar would have been my... That 100% but just yeah. having him going there is no tape yeah there is no, there is no tape <laughs> for the tape there is no it's tape, tape. <laughs> it's just so funny yeah. yeah it's genius love it brilliant don't want it to end worst of it we're watching Pachinko again back with that weekly can't fault it there is actually I was thinking of you I saw a, a an article yesterday saying is is Apple TV Plus now the greatest streaming platform ever and I was like did James Dyer write this I did yes um, uh, but that wasn't your byline on that it but. might be for C alone it is <laughs> C and foundation uh, but no yeah, I mean we talked about this on the Empire podcast on Friday we've talked about it on this podcast many times they are not prolific but God damn it, when they put out a show, they put out a show. They're putting out some Well, news. they're getting more and more fully. I mean, we'll talk about this, I think. Yes. In the, in the, ramp- well, we we'll get onto that in our yes. special discussion segment. <laughs> yes, special discussion segment. Um, yes. But yes, no, I feel like Pachinko is one of the ones people just aren't, either aren't really seeing or aren't really talking about too much. I can't recommend it enough. I yep. think it's very, really, really good. Performance is amazing. Looks beautiful. And also, 
I forgot to mention this last week amongst birthday mania, but I found um, something that I feel like falls into the category of Is It Cake on Netflix, (laughs) which was brought up to me by a friend of a friend. And then it just showed up on my Netflix. (laughs) It's called, you might have heard of this, but you Mm. absolutely will not have. Mm. It's called Old Enough! Exclamation mark. Uh, About 10 to 17 minute episodes, which already won me over. And the whole premise, it's a Japanese show from I don't know when it was made. It was made at least it was made at least a decade ago, I would I would say. The whole premise of the show, which is a reality show, our parents send their young children on errands. Oh, I've heard you of this. You have heard of it. I've not watched it, but people were calling it from I, I I must admit, like it 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 tickled my and I don't read the Daily Mail, but it tickled my inner Daily Mail reader where I was outraged <laughs> at the thought of toddlers being forced to go and get groceries and then bursting into tears because a bag broke. And I was just like, this feels like the most exploitative, horrific thing ever. It's the most charming <laughs> and and yeah. sweet tonic of a show. So that didn't happen with the toddler crying over the broken bag at groceries. Not really, no. I mean, some of it is like, oh, okay. I think it does hark slightly from a different time in that they are like sending their child off down a street. Is it a bit battle royale? (laughs) Is that what it is? Shot. Send them off with a little flick knife. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) And the baseball bats. No, it's just like a very simple, like sending a kid down to, one of them was a little girl, had to go and get some tempura and like four specific types of tempura. I couldn't have fucking remembered what she was sent off with this little shopping list. And then it's just like following her go through the market and she decides to go off and buy a really expensive cut fish because it had a cute face on it instead. And she's just walking around with the little bags of fish. Brilliant. That was how I spent the last few wow. hours of my birthday and I was of uh, my my <laughs> night before my birthday and I was like, this is this is how to see out 33, to be honest. So yeah, old enough. It's old just enough. fun, short. Nice. Exploitative, <laughs> horrific. No, it's fine. I've seen viral clips of it. There yeah. were viral clips out there and it did look it did look hilarious. It's yeah. it's just very funny. It is like amped up Japanese telly, so it does have like the reaction noises and things on mm. it and the sort of boing production values, yeah. like yeah. a lot of sound effects going on. But that's been uh a bit of what I've been watching. Um, I can't imagine. Uh, I will no. never watch that. <laughs> no, ever, ever watch that. Uh, not yeah. least of all, because I've just been trying to make a dent in the backlog of stuff that I haven't watched. So I, I watched six episodes of The Walking Dead this week, I think, oh, to gosh, get on wow. to. So I'm now, I'm now, I now I've finished part one of the final season of The Walking Dead. We're going to wait to the end of the year for part two. Fucking hell, it's good. Like uh, genuinely, uh, it's really good. Like this stretch of episodes, this this final season has really, really nailed it. Especially this particular bit, this particular segment where it's all starting to turn at the Commonwealth, but there's threats within and without and Hilltop is having a nightmare. It's, I mean, yeah, I've, I enjoyed it enormously, like in enormously yeah so that was a load of fun the other thing i've been watching is bosch legacy now bosch legacy of course i can't talk about because it's embargoed but the reason i bring it up is because not only have i been watching bosch legacy but we're going to be doing a bosch legacy event wow so a sort of joint venture between pilot tv podcast and the the streaming artist formerly known as imdb tv aka amazon freebie yes so amazon freebie obviously is the home of bosch legacy but we're going to be doing a special event whereby on the 5th of may in london we're going to have a special screening of the first episode of bosch legacy followed by a q and a with the stars 
with the stars, Titus Welliver, wow. Mimi Rogers, wow. Madison Lintz, yes. and me! Hosted <laughs> More importantly, <laughs> me! James, a little bit of advice. <laughs> Word to the wise, don't bang on about The Expanse. I mean, I'm, I promise nothing, and I know. because it's an Amazon-owned IP, yeah. I reckon I can get away with it. Uh, so, you know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if Titus Welliver's a big fan of The oh, Expanse. I, have you met Titus Welliver? I may or may not have spoken to Titus Welliver very recently. <laughs> now you say it. it for this very podcast, yeah. and he is nerdy on a level that I am nerdy. Wait a minute, are you telling me he's Gosh. a fan of The Expanse? I am telling you he is a sci-fi nerd without peer, and I feel has that... Has he specifically admitted he's a fan of The Expanse? He has not, but... But this is the perfect entry for me because it's absolutely up God. his alley and it's an Amazon property. And I oh. reckon if he hasn't already watched it, I can totally get him into it. So oh I'm going to get him on stage, yeah. unbeknownst to yeah. Amazon Freebie, yeah. and I'm going to bang on about The Expanse for at least half an hour yeah. and get him into that because he's into, he's into sideshow collectibles, into all this nerdy shit. So, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Bosch, Bosch um, is a man after my own heart. Listeners who are clamoring for tickets now, they're going to be, now it's going to sell out instantly. It is. The idea that it you're is. going to talk to us right. about The Expanse. I'm come, like, come, yeah. and, come, and, come and see me. Me. Yeah. Uh, yes, there is a URL, but the URL is is hideously convoluted. So I'm just going to say, go oh. to go to uh, the Pilot TV Twitter feed and just scroll backwards because we posted a thing about it on Thursday, so you can see it there. Uh, and I'm sure it'll be retweeted there. I've retweeted it from my account. I'm sure you can find it. If you can't find it, just ask me on Twitter, and I'll send you the link. But it's 25 seats. We've only got 25 seats. It's first come, first served. 25 people. Intimate. So you know. Come join me and Bosch. Oh my God. It's going to be great. Where is it in London? Oh, because you want to come, obviously, Beth. Of course uh, I yes. do. I want a front row of those 25 seats. When people win their tickets, they shall be the location will be revealed. It is not my house, uh, but it will be a place in central London. So okay. it's going to be very exciting. All right. Wow. The, uh, the, the Bosch event. Oof. Bosch. Great stuff. Um, very but that's, that's it. That's all I've been watching this week. Okay. And I can't talk about Bosch yet because no. it hasn't aired yet. And it's embargoed. Anyway, right, let us move on now to the special discussion segment. And it is called that because we don't have a listener question this week, but we thought we should probably get into the Netflix situation. So I'm sure all of you will have heard in one way or another, but Netflix lost 200,000 subscribers over the first quarter of this year when they were due to, their target was a 2.5 million increase, uh, and it wiped $50 billion off their stock market value as a result, which, I mean... Who who among us has not lost fifty billion overnight? <laughs> oh my God, uh, but that's the obviously a bit of. One day drop in, I mean, in history. Yeah, it's 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 pretty seismic, and so a lot of people were asking a, a very simple question after that, which is why. Yes. Well, it's in, what's one thing. First of all, I want to, what I wanted to say was this: the timing could not be more interesting in a way because of course you've got the morons who run the government um, using Netflix Channel 4 as an yes. yeah. example to, yeah. to privatise Channel 4 and to yeah. sell Channel 4 of course Channel 4 isn't making losing billions it's losing any money in fact no. it did really well yeah. in its last financial figures and you know um, doesn't cost the public anything ad funded so if anything Netflix should be following Channel 4's model <laughs> rather than Channel 4 following Netflix's model the other thing I would say is I feel sorry for people who work for Netflix yeah. before you know I think if you you know if you work for a company that loses that level of um of value in one day that is scary I mean that is really scary so I feel I do you know I don't I'm not I don't want to I mean it's a, it's a blip isn't it it's not like this is now right. their share price yeah I so. don't think there's any sense that right that, that Netflix is going to crumble and disappear anytime yeah. soon but it is it must be worrying it's not it's not you know it's not pleasant to know that your company no is in that I means definitely troubling. That's yeah. anyway. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, think, it's yeah. all down to the fact that Amazon has the expanse. I mean, we can we can agree well, yeah. that that's basically I mean, that the is, reason. If yeah. only they'd got you. I was asked to go on 
Channel 5 News event, which I couldn't do because I was here all day. Because you were doing GB News at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Not doing GB News. (laughs) Privatise it all. I was getting ready for the new Piers Morgan channel, obviously. (laughs) Uh, Whatever the fuck that's called. Um, Anyway, if you'd have gone on, yeah, it would have been literally, it's all down to the expanse. It's all down to the expanse, yeah. But... What I do think is it's not that... I mean, it's surprising they lost that so much money, yeah. so much value. Yeah. But it's value in one day. All of these things are kind of slightly esoteric in a way anyway because it's not... It makes doesn't make any money anyway. Um, you know, it, it, and it's long-term plans to make money eventually one day. Yeah. Who the fuck knows when? Um, like many tech companies. But what I think is really interesting about it is that you, you kind of everyone almost expected this to happen because, you know, Netflix in its heyday a couple of years ago, say, before Disney Plus, um, Peacock, yeah. um, Apple TV Plus, etc. came along. All these drivers came Pluto along. TV. <laughs> Pluto TV for Star Trek. Um, you know, it was unique. It was a unique service, yes. really. Yeah. It was out of Monopoly, essentially, of the entire yeah. market. Right. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, Amazon Prime Video has been around almost as long, but it definitely felt, what it did was, and I always say this, it, the, the the brand, Netflix, felt like the Apple of streaming TV. It yeah. felt like the, the cool, you know, Netflix and chill, all of that. Mm. And, you know, I know young people still... You know, like I'm more, I'm more prone to watch Netflix, something on Netflix, than they are to watch it on normal TV. Completely, yeah. they consider normal TV to be uncool and you know nerdy or whatever. And like for old people, basically sitting around gathering and watching Strictly every week or whatever. <laughs> Whereas they'll watch the same show, they'll watch yeah. a BBC show that was on five years ago, like The Fall, for yeah. example. When it's on Netflix, they'll binge on and go, "Oh, this is a pretty thing on Netflix." Well, I've just discovered Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely worked from that from that point of view. But now, really, it's only USP is. That insists on all its originations arriving in one go as box sets, as as binge views, if you like. But while everyone else is kind of not doing that and mm. straying away from that, Disney Plus usually starts with two or three episodes. Um, same with Apple TV Plus; they go weekly. Amazon Prime kind of half and half a bit. The one we're doing today, I think ten percent is arriving all in one go. The mm. eight episodes, but that's actually quite rare for them now. So it's almost like the only thing that they've got going for them uniquely. Is is that idea which they cling to massively? Ted Sarandos, I remember, is obsessed with everything arriving in one go. Um, but in terms of quality premium television, particularly in the scripted world, the stuff that we deal with every week, it just has been eclipsed. I yeah. think. Particularly with, with, with Apple TV Plus, with the Apple TV Plus used to have fewer shows, but now it feels like that. Even though it's not true, but it feels like they have more week by week. There's a new Apple TV Plus thing. We're doing one this week. Yeah, It was yeah. a couple of weeks ago that we did the previous one. Whereas Netflix, weirdly, doesn't seem... To, even though it, it churns out a lot more, literally churns out loads and loads of new titles every week, and things arrive that you weren't told about from all over the world. But in terms of really brilliant, prestige, exciting, must-see shows, it doesn't feel like... It's really doing as well right now, yeah. to me personally anyway, yeah. as Apple TV+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, and even Amazon Prime. Yeah. So it is it, it, creatively, I feel like there is a big question mm. mark about it. Yeah, I can only think of, you know, a couple of shows that I really feel like kind of like, you know, and, and I don't include, you know, The, the, the Witcher. The Witcher, Arcane. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, if you're into that world, yeah. then yeah, yeah, The Witcher, I guess, is big, but it doesn't feel as big. It's not as big, is it, as you know some of the other equal shows that are in that world? It's not Game of Thrones. It's not Game of Thrones, but and it's not Lord of the Rings that Amazon have got coming well, up. We haven't seen it. Remains yet. to be seen. But I mean, yeah. in terms of something that seems huge, it doesn't seem yeah. huge to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of got like Stranger Things, which is coming back soon for the fourth season, and there is a fifth season I know as well. But there's like three years. It takes like two, three years to make those shows. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's big gaps between them, and that doesn't feel like there's enough 
incredible musty stuff to keep people paying, and they had a pay rise, a, a, a rise recently in the fee to keep pe- normal people who have to mm. choose what to watch quite carefully now um, to keep them on board. And I think it is an issue that you know I, I really do. That's a long rambling. No, 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 not at all. And I think it is, well, it comes down to a myriad of things, doesn't it? I mean, we're talking about one of the shows today. This isn't just, you know, this is a show with like Elizabeth Moss in it. You know, these Apple are working with big names. That's their thing. Big, big names. I mean, they're doing the Spielberg show, um, the the follow-up Band of Brothers in the air. Yeah. Um, that's coming out. They've obviously got Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio. There, you know, it used to be that Netflix was kind of showing off this big brass roster of, you know, your Dwayne Johnsons, your Ryan Reynolds, all incredibly bankable in there. But Apple are fully giving them a run for their money now and turning in high quality stuff. No offense, Red Notice. Offense, Red Notice. Um, <laughs> high quality stuff that pairs with these big, incredible names that they're working with. And then Disney's just, it, it's easy with Disney. Like yeah. when you consider the IPs, they've got every new Marvel show coming out. Marvel, Star Wars. You know, we've got a Star Wars review McGregor coming out, a yeah. Star Wars show coming out imminently, another one down the road. They they hold all of those. It's the the inbuilt audience is already there. Whereas I feel like Netflix is consistently having to prove itself in that respect mm. because so much of the stuff, and especially, you know, I'm gonna bring it up if they cancel good shit, like <laughs> the, the OA. That's a very good point. <laughs> you two have been very in sync today. It's been yeah. very, very unnerving. Um but yeah, they they I feel like they are constantly having to prove themselves. It's not enough anymore that they have these long-standing relationships, and the the overhaul of content is just mm. kind of is kind of overwhelming. And yeah, it does it does rub people up the wrong way when you do cancel good shit. Yeah. Um. And then another, if you're getting down to kind of the the boring kind of structural business side of things, you know, they have said a large part of it is people just sharing passwords. I will yeah. not name him, <laughs> but I've been setting something up with one of our writers for one of the upcoming issues. And when they asked, they needed to the, the thing with uh, journalist Netflix accounts is they have to add preview content onto our accounts and the journalist had to give his dad's email address because he shares his dad's Netflix Amazing. you know and that's that's just one wow, person that's <laughs> that we have to do that and you know they're saying that it accounts for um, I think it's something like yeah Netflix estimates 100 million households globally access its services wow. and then beyond that um, 30 million additional households using the service in North America so what they're proposing to do is bump up the the cost to accommodate other people using people's passwords, basically. Something like a $3 um, additional cost if your auntie wants to use your Netflix, yeah. basically. So it does come down to whether you want to use that or not. Um, so it might come down to them tweaking the prices and actually how they address their business model rather than the content i just say put out old enough and and be done with it really <laughs> 10 17 minutes is it cake but i think seasons. they still have volume over anything else because my understanding is certainly is that netflix has more original content than every other streaming service combined yeah i, I believe that is i saw i saw a very okay. appealing infographic which right. showed me that information at right. one point so i'm just I assuming that, that's true yeah. Yeah. and i can believe it but it's like we've got to the point where you've got that and you've also got the fact that, as you said, they were the first. And it got to the point where I, I always think that people, everyone has Netflix. And we discussed this on this very podcast. Yeah. There was a point where everyone has Netflix and then you may or may not have, oh, I've also got Prime. Oh, I don't. I also have Apple. Oh, oh you don't, don't do I have Disney Plus. But everyone had Netflix. And I remember when we first 
discussed this. And I was like, who doesn't have Netflix? Yeah. And lots of people said on Twitter, well, actually, I don't have Netflix. I will have Netflix when there's something I want to see, and then I'll get rid of it and swap for Apple. Because I think we've reached what I would call budget saturation at this point, where there yeah. are so many of these services that unless you are very, very wealthy, you can't afford to have them all. So you do then have to strategize. And you've got to think, well, okay, I'll have Netflix because I really want to see the new season of Stranger Things. But like, that's now dropped. So fuck it. Actually, Moon Knight's now on Disney Plus. Next month, I'm going to cancel that and I'm going to go to Disney Plus. And I think, I mean, and that is a pain in the ass. Let's not fuck about. Yeah. But I think it's, we've got to the point where it's necessary because you can't have all of it unless you have, I don't know, an excellent podcast that steers you to the very best in modern television entertainment. But, yeah. but genuinely, like this is a problem. And Netflix's image, I think is still, they, you know, Netflix is a big name. I've got a lot of time for Netflix. I love Netflix's stuff. God knows I bang on about The Witcher enough. But, but, but there is, I think, a sense with Netflix that other streamers are eclipsing them in terms of raw quality. And I think Apple is probably at the front of this uh, because their shows feel premium. They feel super expensive. The quality seems extremely high. They may not do loads of them, but sometimes it feels like when Netflix have a great show, they cancel it. And yeah. and I wonder whether they're going to have to... Because it's all very you know, algorithmic, isn't it? Yeah. And I wonder whether they're actually going to have to take more of an Apple route where they're actually rewarding great content yes. regardless. Because yes. like The Wire wouldn't yeah. exist if it had followed no, an algorithmic 100%. model. For me, the problem that you've... That, that, I mean, first of all, the, the whole thing about... It's harder for Netflix, tiny violin time. But <laughs> I totally agree with your point, Beth, that it is harder because they, they, they're competing against... But at least Amazon Prime and Apple have got unlimited funds, effectively, <laughs> haven't they? It's yeah. like Arsenal competing with Man City and... And, I was um, thinking exactly the Chelsea. same thing, Boyd. It really is. I'm sorry, it's a good football analogy, but basically, we Arsenal has a limited funds, a limited owner. Yeah. They don't, they, they hardly invest any money at all in the team. It's the same for most teams in football. And then you've got Man City that's literally owned by, you know, a, 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 a foreign um, Middle Eastern government that is literally the richest people in the world. And, you know, no one can compete. I mean, I mean, Liverpool are competing, just to carry on this comparison. But, it's, <laughs> you know, in the long term, it's like, how do you deal with that? How do you, how does... Almost funny as little Netflix in a way. I mean, I know it's not little, but how does it deal with the fact that it's got at least two streamers? Disney, kind of, sim- you know, more not far behind, who can pay as much them. money as yeah, they want, they outspend them. them. So for me, the mistake they're making is they're going for volume. Clearly, I mean, you know, I know their budget's gone up again. It's investing billions next year, and there will be, you know, fifty, however many new scripted shows. I'm sure, but it does feel like quality isn't their priority. So Archive Eighty One was another example, and for mm. me, what what you know. Nights Archive 81, Glow, and the OA is that they were weird, kind of out there. <laughs> well, niche. They're a niche. Bit, they're a bit niche. Quite challenging, but absolutely yeah. authored, bold, use yeah. the B word, yeah. shows. Mm. The kind of thing that Netflix, I think, is quite difficult to deal with. And that if they don't know that, and I know like Squid Game was a massive hit as well. And that was, that kind of meets those descriptions as well. But unless something takes off, instantly in that kind of pop culture way. And by the way, we don't actually know how many people watch this stuff, really, yeah. really. Um, it does feel like there's much more room for that on Apple, you know, particularly, I think. I, I can't imagine if... Archive 81, you can absolutely imagine on Apple TV+. Plus, oh, yeah. and, that you can't, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine they would have cancelled it just because it's not instantly getting yeah. a certain number of viewers. And I feel... Do you know, if I, I, I think of... I, I think of Apple TV like now. It feels like every every single show on Apple TV is beautifully. I think we mentioned this before. Meticulously, like visually <laughs> stunning. Yeah. And I almost feel it was this sleek, modern, shiny thing. Well, it, it, and in comparison, it's like Apple devices, isn't right. it? It fits their whole company. Right, it does. Philosophy. Whereas Netflix feels slightly, now feeling slightly creaky and try hard and a bit. You know, and it's a bit unfair because there's stuff I love on Netflix. Same, but yeah. well, your favourite TV show of all time, absolutely, my is a Netflix is, show. Is, 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 and I really which they cancelled. Right, exactly. But Anatomy of a Scandal was great. 
great fun. Yep, you loved know, it. and I really enjoyed it. But it's not as good. It's still not as no. good, I would say, as the show we're doing today on sure. Apple TV Plus. The show we, we reviewed two weeks ago, on Apple TV Plus. Sure. And, you know, certainly Severance, which is proving to be most people's. I would say most people's show of the year. I would say so far. I have come around on that. I have reversed Ferris. There, there we go. go. So yeah. So from that point of view, I, I, so but in in a nutshell, what I'm saying is, you're right. I think they need to prioritize quality. Even if it's niche, and even if it's hard for them because they do rely so much on you know algorithms, such and they well they kind of do deny that a bit um, over anything else because that worked for HBO, works for HBO, yep. it's definitely clearly working yeah. for Apple, even though they don't have to, they can lose as much money as they want, doesn't matter, <laughs> um, you know, and to some extent for all the all the other streamers. That is my that is my yeah. speech. <laughs> I think you're right. It'd be interesting to see how this unfolds going forward yeah. because like we are at a point where you know it's going to become much more competitive Netflix enjoyed that early advantage it enjoyed that sort of period where it was the default viewing platform and now you know and one thing we haven't really talked about is we talked a lot about original content but Netflix had this massive back catalogue of great stuff which is now no longer on the service because all of these uh, studios and networks who've now got their own streaming services they reclaimed the rights to all of their shows Friends has gone all of these shows are no longer on there yeah. you know Disney's taken back the Marvel shows that were created for Netflix and and so now their back catalogue I think is now looking a bit threadbare mm. and without that that also puts them at a disadvantage just in terms of the value proposition you look at Disney with the back catalogue of all the Fox and Disney titles the value there is incredible so I, it's it's difficult it's yeah. very difficult yeah They've still got Seinfeld. I'll give them that. They've still got Seinfeld. There we go. There we go. Anyway, <laughs> that was our little musing on Netflix. Uh, let's move on from that. If you've got a question, at one point on this show, we might actually answer one of your questions. We haven't done it in a while, but, you know, live the dream. See what happens. Yeah. Uh, send it in to us at Pilot TV Pod on, uh, on one of the various social media channels. But let's have a guess. Should we have a guess? Let's have a guess. Uh, and let's have this week's first guess. Uh, you will, of course, know her as Robin Griffin from Top of the Lake. Peggy Olsen from Mad Men, uh, June from Handmaid's Tale, and of course, most importantly, Zoe Bartlett, the first daughter <laughs> from the West Wing. She is, of course, Elizabeth Moss, uh, and she's with us this week to talk about Shining Girls on Apple, in which she plays Kirby, the survivor of a serial killer's horrific assault, but whose reality is not, I think it's fair to say, quite what it seems. Amon Warman sat down with Elizabeth, and this is how it went. We are delighted to be joined on the Pilot TV podcast by the director, star, and executive producer of Shining Girls, Elizabeth Moss. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good, thank you. Congratulations on the show. I've seen the first four episodes. I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, and I know that this is adapted from Lauren Boots' 2013 novel of the same title. When did you first read it and what struck you most about it? I actually read the first script first. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I came to it really fresh. Uh, I had no idea what it was about. Um, and so I sort of experienced it as a as a viewer first, which I think is probably a good thing. Um, and then, of course, read the book as, a, you know, a reference piece and for research and all of that. Um, but my first experience with it was the the first script. And I, I just felt like it was I wanted to know what happened next, of course, which I hope viewers do as well. I wanted to know where it was going because uh, I hadn't read the book. I had no idea. Um, and I just felt like it was this incredibly smart analogy for trauma and for the experience that a person can go through when they've had something happen to them, whether it be an attack the way Kirby does or a death of a loved one or a pandemic or losing a job, whatever it is that is a, a trauma in somebody's life and how that can affect you moving forward. And I just thought it was a very, very clever way of telling that story. Would you ever consider relying solely on the screenplay for something like this? Is there ever any advantage 
to not reading the source material and getting stuck straight in? Yeah, I do think there can be. I mean, it's a, uh, it's, our, our show is a bit different from the book. So in, in this particular case, yeah, but I also feel like, uh, you know, you kind of try to get anything you can from anywhere you can, at least I do. And so if there is a source material, it, you know, it can't, in my case, it can't hurt, uh, of course. And it's just a really great book and it's really, uh, it's just really beautifully written. Um, I've been lucky in the sense of the past couple of things I've done on television, Shiny Girls and Handmaid's Tale have had this incredible source material. So uh, I feel like it's very much benefited me for sure. What I don't want to do is watch, like I've never seen, um, any previous iteration of Handmaid's Tale. Like I've never seen the, the movie that was made. Um, I So uh, what I don't wanna watch is something that somebody else did, cause I do think that would have a negative effect. But if there's more material, yeah, let me have at it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one of the things I find most interesting about the show is that everything is always shifting around Kirby and she has to adapt very quickly. I mean, she's single one minute, she's married the next, there's stuff in her apartment, which is changing all the time. And I imagine that there are some similarities to acting and filmmaking there, because what a scene requires can vary from take to take, depending on a variety of factors. So was there any point during the making of this show when you were either behind the camera or on camera where you had to adapt quickly to an unexpected circumstance? And how did you do that? Always, always. All it is is adapting, especially as a director. You're always just adapting to an unexpected circumstance. You know, you show up and there's something does not look the way that it was supposed to look or it's snowing now and it wasn't supposed to be snowing uh, or it's sunny and it wasn't supposed to be sunny, you know, or these days. I mean, with COVID, you're constantly adapting to uh, an unexpected circumstance. Um, so, you know, it's it's definitely something that I uh, I can see the parallels for sure <laughs> <laughs> between the stories of the show and 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 what filmmaking is like for sure. But I also like um, I love the. I, I, I love the challenge of having to face things that you're not expecting. I love the challenge of having to fix problems. Um, mm. So that's a joy for me. Don't think it's so much of a joy for Kirby necessarily to <laughs> come home and be living with like a different person than she was before. <laughs> Even though he is super cute, <laughs> it's still a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, I also imagine it's really interesting, you know, actors, I guess to a point, are used to not shooting stuff in sequence. But yeah. in a show like this, when things are switching so often and the way the story plays out is being out of sequence from episode to episode, how challenging is it to keep track of your character's emotional state while you're going? You have no idea. I'm so glad you brought that up and you're actually the first person to bring that up. But I'm so glad you did. It's really smart. It was absolutely maddening. It was so difficult for us as the three directors and Silka, the showrunner and our producers. I mean, everyone involved costumes, art department to keep track of this show because as you said of course you shoot everything out of order and when you watch the show and realize that we shot everything out of order it's going to blow your mind because <laughs> it, it's already there's a lot that you have to grapple with when watching this show and there's a lot of things that are you have to sort of track and it does does require a bit of an intelligent viewer um and imagine shooting all of that out of order it was very very difficult and what it what it meant was that uh, we had a lot of tracking things. Like we had a lot of documents. We had a lot of like, 
you know, this, these items are in this place at this time, this, this person looks like this at this time, it required everybody to really be on their A game, and to be constantly, constantly tracking the continuity of things, which you're always doing, but this was like, you know, to the nth degree. Um, and it required the three directors, me and Dana and Michelle, to be very, very closely linked and very collaborative because we not only shot the episode, we not only shot the scenes out of order, of course, we shot all the episodes out of order. That is wild. Which is insane. <laughs> I know, it's absolutely insane. So I was shooting episode five. I shot, I directed episodes five and seven. I was shooting episode five, like two weeks into production. You know, so we were shooting episodes one and at the same time as episode five or shooting, I mean, it was total chaos. So we really had to stay in close, close contact because something that Michelle did in her scene, I had to know so that when I walked in next that day and shot my scene in the same location, I had to be very aware of what she had set up. And it was... um it definitely was something that was a challenge for all of us. And imagine, uh, you guys are knocking it out the part so far. I haven't seen uh, the back half yet, but yeah, that is, that is incredible. Um, you've spoken in the past about how important music is for you when crafting a character. Uh, what yeah. was on your playlist for Kirby and why? It's a very good question. I usually use the same kind of things for every character um, as far, there's like some standards uh, as far as I use a lot of orchestral music. I use a lot of soundtrack, a lot of composers. Um, so it's a lot of like Max Richter, Hans Zimmer. Um, yeah, oh yeah, of course. Those are like my standards, like Johan Johansson. Like it's a lot of those and I carry those from project to project. What was fun about this was using a little bit more 90s because it's set in 92. Well, one of the timelines is set in 92, I should say. Mm. Um, so I got to use a lot. I got to kind of listen to a lot more like early 90s stuff and then even 80s stuff because obviously Kirby would, that would be, you know, when she was in her 20s, it would be the 80s. So I got to listen to a lot of that. I brought some like, you know, Beastie Boys back, Beck, a lot of like, um, of course, early Radiohead, like Cure was a massive, massive thing on my playlist, um, which isn't unusual. <laughs> but uh, so it was, it was different in that way. I got to kind of actually be more like period centric with my music, which was really fun. This is literally music to my ears, especially the score <laughs> stuff. I'm a massive film score nerd. So Hans Zimmer yeah. is the, just the man to me. I actually saw him live uh, a few days ago at the O2. He was you incredible. That's my dream yeah. to see Hans Zimmer live. He was incredible. He was, I, hope, I hope you get to see him at some point. It was an amazing show. Uh, oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it was. Yeah, I, I for me, listening to score is, is the number one thing I do as an actor. I mean, it just that you can find a piece and somehow it just clues you into something that you, you uh, a place need to be in. And um, I mean, Zimmer's like, obviously the master. Yeah, he is. <laughs> you also <laughs> mentioned some other sort of 80s, 90s music. And I wanted to ask you about acting in that era. Is there anything we had then that you still wish we had today? I had a, a, a Walkman. I mean, I've, I'm old enough to... <laughs> I'm old enough to have had a Walkman, um, you know, and actually be using a Walkman, a normal thing. Uh, but uh, I, I enjoyed bringing that back. I was like, these are cool. Like you get to just like listen to, you know, it's hard to rewind and to and to go forward. So you kind of just got to play it and like 
hope for the best and get like go on the journey of the album you can't just skip to the next track because you want to like you actually have to listen to it <laughs> so that yeah. was something i really enjoyed was walking around with with kirby's walkman i i really i missed that it was it was cool that's awesome so we mentioned uh directing a few times here and i wanted to ask you what is elizabeth master director's assessment of elizabeth moss the actor <laughs> god that's a good question uh i don't know i mean you know okay i guess the person who gave me the who, the person who analyzed me as an actor in the most in, in the best way i felt that i i definitely took as a director when i was then had to direct myself was jane campion she had okay. the best explanation for for how i work which is she was like you like to know what your box is in the scene you want to know what the parameters are and you want to know that really specifically but then after that you want to just be allowed to play within that box and i thought that was absolutely correct it was a perfect way of putting it and um and it is something that i i have used whether i'm directing or acting you know whichever i'm doing it it's something that i do constantly think about and remember um mm. i i'm so uh used to doing it at this point that i suppose i don't i don't put a whole lot of thought into it um I do like to give myself options as a director. <laughs> so sometimes I'll do a take and then um, just go, okay, let's just have something different because I want to make sure as a director and when I'm editing the episode, I have something different. Um, the value of having options is really, really something you learn quickly as a director. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. Thinking about all the films and TV shows that you've been a part of, if you had the chance to direct one of them, which one would you pick and why? Ooh, my God, you're asking really good questions. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that on these interview days when there are a lot of interviews. Um, you know, looking back, I would have loved to have done an episode of Mad Men. Mm. I would have loved to have done an episode of Mad Men. Like, that was never on the table. Um, so it was never like I was denied it. I wasn't directing at that point. But like, looking back, I would love to have worked with those actors. I think the thing that I love the most about directing is working with the actors, um, which I didn't expect. I'm a very big visual person. I love the cinematography element. So I thought that that was going to be the part that I was most excited about. I am, but it really actually became working with the actors that I was, that has become my favorite part. Um, so I would have loved to have worked with those actors, you know, the, they were so good on that show. And uh, that would have been really, really fun to, to get to play with them. So Mad Men, I think would have been cool. Somewhere in this multiverse, Elizabeth Moss got to direct an episode of Mad Men. And I want to see it, Evan. I want to see it. Yes, I want to see it too. I'll direct, I'll direct the reunion special. Yes. Um, you're very good at playing uh, women who have been through some sort of trauma. I'm sure that's the first time you've been told that. No, I'm joking. Yeah. Um, but what's the difference between a traumatic role that you pass on and one that earns your interest? Because I'm sure at this point you get sent a whole bunch of scripts yeah. in that regard. Um, another good question. Uh, I, I think the difference is if the character doesn't have an arc or they don't have a change to them and there isn't a, um, a progression of the character, you know, I don't have any interest in, in whether the character is going through a traumatic experience or not it's no fun to just play one thing for two hours or one thing for eight episodes. So 
it doesn't give me anything to do at this point. So for me, I'm always looking for the transformation of the character. If there is something traumatic that happens, does she overcome it or does she push back? Does she find a way to, to, um, change through that experience in some way, whether it's for the better or for the worse, by the way, it doesn't mean that she has to become a superhero. It doesn't mean that she actually has to become stronger. Sometimes it can be that the person becomes, uh, weaker or more vulnerable or in some way, but there just has to be some change for me so that I have something to to do, something to play. Absolutely. Well, I hope that they send you more good scripts in that regard because you keep knocking them out of the park and I love watching it. Elizabeth Moss, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for your fun, smart questions. I really appreciate it. That was Elizabeth Moss. Do we have any news this week, people, that doesn't involve, I don't know, streaming people's well, you know Stop what? The, new, the news that's broken just now today, it does involve Apple TV Plus, sorry. Oh, okay. But Apple TV Plus partners with Idris Elba on new Thriller Hijack, which is in itself interesting. Yeah. So they've done a deal with Idris Elba, who's obviously a huge star. And I remember when Idris Elba did some terrible things on Netflix. I mean, he didn't really... Do you remember he did a sitcom on Netflix, which was filmed in yes. Camden, <laughs> that I'm trying, I can't remember the name of, was unbelievably bad. It's like the worst <laughs> thing Idris Elba's ever done. Um and now, so I'm sorry, Netflix, but you know, and now he's done a deal with um, Apple TV Plus and he's going to star in and exec produce a seven part thriller, uh, which looks quite interesting. And, and it's called a tense thriller following the journey of a hijacked plane as it films makes its way to London over a seven hour flight. It's, I'm instantly kind of, I'm on board. Pardon the pun. <laughs> Very good. Very so, yeah. good. Um, yeah. Well done, Apple TV Plus. And it's yeah. hardly surprising. It's exactly what you said, Beth, about they, are, they get stars. Big Driss. They get big, big Driss on board. Yeah. And then they get, yeah, this is just it. I'm, I'm big. I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, if we're going to be shills for Apple TV Plus, I'm like, fuck it, why not? Can we talk a little bit about the uh, prehistoric planet trailer? Did you uh, see yes, this? I did. It's yeah. like, I mean, who doesn't incredible. love a bit of David Attenborough banging on yeah. about things? But when they're fucking dinosaurs, like, who doesn't want to watch this show? Like, there's a bit where there's a T-Rex swimming. And I was like, you had me with the swimming T-Rex. Like, beyond <laughs> anything else, you had me at the swimming T-Rex. Because this is, I mean, let's be honest, this is posh walking with dinosaurs as well. Mm. this is but with the visuals of like jurassic world like yeah. they're like photo real dinosaurs yeah. it's fucking yeah. cool yeah the bizarre thing is bbc one had a one-off um dinosaur special um i think it was narrated by david attenborough on easter over easter yeah. which of course like no one got that excited about well i mean but yeah i mean it's, but did, it did they look as cool and uh, crucially were any of them swimming brilliant. i don't know if they're any swimming. <laughs> i have i didn't actually watch it is is my honest answer but yeah it was it was fairly spectacular by all accounts i mean going back to netflix Yes. This feels slightly baffling to me. And me as the patron saint of animation, <laughs> I've got to say, and I love everyone involved in this show, why is Big Mouth coming back for a seventh season? Oh, wow, yeah, that is... Seven seasons. <laughs> and I was incredible. really on board with this show when I first came out. And then it just went, even for me, a is it bit rubbish now? too fucking weird. I mean, I haven't kept up with it. It might have become like, it might have done a Walking Dead. It might have become really crystallized and cool and interesting and, and brought it back around in the, I don't know, sixth season. But I just don't know. It's uh, It just seems like an odd choice to me. Uh, with that, yeah, but, no, I agree with you. Yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, obviously we talked about the Netflix thing a little bit, but one of the things that did jump out to me as I read a thing on Deadline, it was saying the number of UK households that subscribe to any oh, streaming yeah, service at all yeah. has fallen quite substantially. So they were saying that one and a half million 
subscriptions have been cancelled in the first quarter of this year. This is across streaming services generally, wow. uh, which is quite terrifying. And again, it, it's understood because we got a, you know economy contracting, yeah. cost of living going up. So I think it's yeah. due to household expenses. But you know how much of that fact? Because one thing we didn't talk about with the Netflix thing is there are a lot of external factors at play as well. We can't just look at the streaming wars. There's a lot going on elsewhere in the world at the moment. <laughs> We've had a pandemic. We've got all sorts of shit going on. So yes, and I think the cost of living will affect that because everyone will be tightening the belts a little bit. But yeah, I thought that was an, an interesting statistic. Yes, but it's hard. It, it, I mean, it's the first thing people are going to do, isn't it? They have yeah. to look at it. When, yeah. when, when finances are tough, you have to look at the things that, you know, are luxuries, basically. Yeah. And having subscribing to six, whatever, however many streaming services is a fucking luxury. What else we got? Uh, we mentioned this on the Empire podcast, but fuck it, I'm going to mention here as well. Uh, Shopee Derisu has got his next gig playing John Constantine in the HBO Max series, which is adapting the Hellblazer comic. Don't know if you guys are fans, but I was. I really enjoyed the film, the uh, Keanu Reeves film, Constantine film, but I didn't enjoy the previous TV iteration of Hellblazer, particularly. But uh, Shopee Derisu, that's great. Oh, he's the best. Him as Constantine, I 100% want to see this. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know when that is coming to indeed any shores, let alone these ones, but uh, excited to see that. Uh, Beth, were you upset to hear that F. Murray Abraham is exiting Mythic Quest? Oh, man. Uh... Yes. <laughs> that felt like a no. It felt reasons. like a no dress I think it, on no. there. Like, no, they uh, said they don't comment on personnel, which oh, was okay. an interesting thing mm. to okay. say. Oh, so is there is there a is there a story? I don't know, but then I'm also thinking, do you know what? He's doing fine. Because he's obviously in the new season of The White Lotus coming out. Oh, so yeah. that's gonna be yes. great for him. And then I was watching Moonlight with my partner the other day and I was like, that don't have sound like F. Murray Abrahams. And it is. So, you know, he's got a Marvel and a and a big HBO show under his belt so yeah. fine for him but yeah I don't know I, I don't really feel a huge I think that show's going to be fine and I think that he's going to be fine so yeah. conscious uncoupling a conscious Con oh, uncoupling it's good. It's good. Good. Good Moon Knight gag there. Oh, for God. for wordplay of wow. that caliber, feel wow. free to subscribe to the Moon Knight spoiler <laughs> specials because that's basically what they are. Uh, Empire9.com slash spoiler specials. Uh, there's been some Witcher casting. If we're going to swing the needle back to Netflix again, uh, we've got a few exciting. Robbie Amell from The Flash will be in the new season of uh, of The Witcher season three. But more excitingly, Menge Zhang from Shang Chi. <laughs> Has got a role. Sorry. She's one of the stand. She was a standout from from Shang Chi, and she's going to be in season three of The Witch. I'm very excited about that, um, as well as Hugh Skinner and Christelle Elwin as well. So, how did you pronounce Amel Amel? Is that what you said? Robbie Amel. Is that how you pronounce it? I, I don't know. I Amel. Just, Amel. I mean, it could be. It could be Amel. It could be. Boldly. It could be Amel. I don't know. I've no. I've no fucking <laughs> clue. No. No idea. This is very you. This story, James. Go on. This is funny. That's what, this made me. This made me chuckle a little bit you know the the plans have been announced for the queen's platinum jubilee celebrations right oh, right do you see do you see this? No. it is quite funny <laughs> because um the the these this is massive celebrations it's the queen's birthday today i believe in fact she's is it? Nine, yeah oh, happy the, the, birthday happy birthday just saying um on may 15th is the official celebration at winter private gowns of winter castle it's the first television event televised event to mark the occasion but he, he this is the list of um there's going to be a, the a theatrical arena event would include 1300 performers 500 horses and made up of four acts each overseen by a different event host who are the hosts i'll tell you tom cruise <laughs> damian lewis <laughs> Joa ando and alan titchmarsh <laughs> 
exact well, reaction. Good. Thank you, Beth. That's the exact reaction I was hoping for. <laughs> Basically, where else, where else in history would you have those four names in one sentence? Tom Cruise. Damien Lewis. Oh, the state of and this Joe country. Titchman. Amazing. Yeah. Oh. yeah, I can't wait to see Tom Cruise jumping up and down with excitement in front of the Queen. That is uh, yeah. outrageous. Thanks. Yeah. Well, okay. I think Boyd has successfully broken news. So, <laughs> should we? That was my aim. <laughs> should we have this week's second guest? Yes. Bill Hader, of course, has been in everything from the Mindy Project to South Park. He's been in Bob's Burgers as well. Uh, the Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, and Big Screen, Paul, Inside Out, Trainwreck. But we, of course, love him the most for his role as the titular Barry in HBO's Hitman comedy. Uh, Beth wished upon a star on this very podcast <laughs> to get the chance to talk to Barry. Uh, and uh, as luck would have it, our friends at HBO listen to the podcast. That's quite handy. <laughs> so Beth got her wish. And Thank this you, is Beth geeking out with Bill Hader. Very, very excited to be talking to you, Bill, um, about this brilliant, brutal show. I wanted to know how your relationship with Barry as a character has changed since when you first um, created him. Uh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean... I think initially he was kind of this, like, you know, Alec Berg calls him a new soul, you know, he's kind of a weird cipher, you know, and trying to better himself, you know, and trying to, there was hope, you know? And then as he's seen him just wanting, you know, to feel better about himself and get in touch with his emotions has cost tons of people their lives <laughs> and caused all these problems. So now, it's it's um, it's a question of like is the illusion going away or is the illusion getting worse? You know the, the denial and all that. Ooh, it's kind of happening for all the characters. It's uh, <laughs> it's crushing to watch. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's hilarious. It's a very fun time at this. Show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where was your headspace when you started this particular chapter? in his story? You know, how did you decide that this was the journey he was going to begin to take? Um, I mean, I think the first day we sat down and started talking about season three, which was in October of 2019. Um, and I think it was kind of just, you know, wanting to go deeper. And, you know, I think the one thing that kind of changed things. And I don't mind giving this away because I think it, it's kind of obvious that at the get-go is that the acting class is gone. You know, uh, Kusno's acting class has been shut down. Mm. So that kind of immediately gave us this feeling of like, oh, okay, it's a, it's a different kind of show. The paradigms are different, you know? A lot of times I'm learning, people do shows and it's like the equation works. And then each season you do variations on that equation. Mm. And and we were changing the equation. So it's like we're taking a big part of the equation out and now everything's kind of doesn't know where to go. And so it was, it was tough to write. It was very tough to write. But I think focusing on what the honest thing would be um, and taking it scene by scene and just go, OK, honestly, what would happen here um, was what we tried to do. And I, I think it works. But like you said, doing that led to very brutal and very sad moments. And it was like, well, yeah, this is the way it goes. So, yeah, for a comedy, it's not, you know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a great time all the time. 
<laughs> I mean, how did that feel to you to kind of, it feels like almost a release, like, well, this is just kind of how it has to go. This is what we have to do. How does that feel to you as a creator to kind of drive in It feels good. And it's a little like, you know, when you have good people working with you and great actors, I mean, the, the big thing is that, and this has happened on the show where you present something and the actor will go, you know, is that really what's going on with them? And it's, um, you can, and, and I, we have a great cast, so it's never a vanity thing. Cause I've worked with people like that where it's like, well, I don't want to do that cause that'll affect my image or I don't want to do that because, you know, I've heard someone say, you know, my audience wouldn't like this. Um, my, the actors on the show are not like that. It's actually the opposite. They would want to go towards the thing that feels more honest. That's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a liberating feeling and, you know, a little dicey, you know, you kind of hope, you know, it's at the end of the day, you just kind of go, well, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you you can really do, you know? (laughs) Of course. And then, I mean, it is a comedy. It is so like blisteringly funny at times. When do you know is the right time to make people laugh in this show? How do you balance that? It's very kind of organic. And then it just will happen. It's almost like we write the scenes we come in with the scenes very much about what I guess, you know, you would say dramatic where it's, it's all very kind of driven by like what the characters need, what's happening as far as the plot goes and things like that. And then it's almost like, you know, like when you watch a drama with your friends or you're watching a boring kind of TV drama and you start making jokes during it, you know, where it's like, you're kind of just calling things out or it's like, whatever, you just kind of start doing that where it's, it's like, it's almost like you get a little bored and, and then the comedy comes out or the characters are themselves. So they start, you know, well, it's like, well, Kusano here would probably say this. He'd be more worried about some vain thing or how this is going to affect, you know, him in some way. So. And then how have you approached this season as a director? And also what have you learned about yourself as a director working on the show? Um, you know, I think the thing we always, we can't, you know, I, when I come into it, it's always kind of like, you know, not making it feel like a, I like movies. I I will be honest. I watch more films than I do TV. I actually don't watch a lot of television. Not that it's bad. It's just, that's, I'm more interested in watching like really old obscure movies that are for most people would be, you know, like getting a root canal, but I find them (laughs) fascinating. Um, and so it is this thing from watching old movies of like, it's kind of very simple dynamic sh- way of covering a scene. You know, I don't like the term covering. It's kind of, you're shooting it and the, the kind of cinematic language of it, your coverage of the frame uh, tells a story, but also allows the actors to have a lot of space to do stuff. And, and so it's usually, yeah, very simple. Um, so it's approaching Carl with Carl Hersey, the, the DP this season, he and I kind of me going, well, here's kind of what I was thinking and, and us just walking through it together. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, it's always pushing it. I mean, we do a big, in the first episode, we have a pretty complicated shot in that epi- in the first episode. Um, and that was the very, very first shot of the very first day of shooting. Oh, wow. And that was a way of kind of being like, all right, everybody, <laughs> like, <laughs> here we go let's go you know so um 
it, it, uh, it's fun to do that stuff. And also just as a director, like push yourself a little bit and go, well, let's keep trying this and, and seeing what works and what doesn't and how can you improve things. And what are some of your root canal movies, your favorite <laughs> root canal movies? <laughs> oh my God. I have too many root canal movies. Um, I mean, I love old, like, um, Japanese movies, like, you know, famous ones like Yugetsu and, uh, Centurio the Bail- Bailiff. And what was one thing I watched recently that I really liked, um, Movie, this British silent movie called Shooting Stars, which is kind of like a almost like a like a satire of Hollywood, made in like the late twenties. It was really great. Um, I like Andre Vida movies, uh, like Canal, <laughs> Canal, uh, <laughs> a Generation, his war films. I, I like a lot. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. Um, but then kind of the usual, you know, Kurosawa and. Bellini and um, I like uh, those Max Olfels movies, um, you know, a lot of stuff on Criterion. Do you guys get the Criterion channel? I wish we got the Criterion channel. We do not have the Criterion channel. Yeah, the Criterion channel is like, that's my whatever, what Netflix is for most people. (laughs) I just go on the Criterion channel and I'm like, last night I found this obscure Japanese uh, uh, movie a crime movie called Take Aim at the Police Van. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'll give you one guess what the first scene in that movie is. Um, but I watched that and I thought, I was like, this is great. This is just wonderful. <laughs> I love that. So Monday night. <laughs> yeah, that was my Monday night. Just, just sitting there watching Take Aim at the Police Van. And going like, wow, the first scene, they just, it's, they're taking aim at the police van. <laughs> I'm like, wow, all right. This is very literal. (laughs) Amazing. And I mean, you've spoken about these these wonderful, wonderful performers. Do you find that they are informing your writing in any way now or informing the comedy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely write things and go, oh, now we're writing for a specific performer, so I'll know they'll nail this. I mean, the best example of that is in season two, we had a scene between Barry and Sally that was kind of, you know, just not very interesting. It was just basically them delivering exposition about where they both are, you know, and those are the worst scenes. And we decided like, well, you know what Sarah Goldberg can do is rattle off lines for two minutes. And so we just wrote it as a giant monologue for her. We put all the information in her mouth. And said, and I texted her saying, do you, can you, do you want to do a two page monologue with no punctuation? (laughs) And she was like, absolutely. So, you know, that's a good. Yeah. You can definitely see, definitely see her in that. Um, You'll have to forgive me this question, but uh, you cameoed in Coast of Tinseltown this year with national treasure, Matt Berry. I'd love to know your thoughts on Matt Berry and also could we expect to see toasts in uh, Barry's acting career? Oh my God. You know, I would have loved to have had him and Barry. You know, I think we tried to get, I think he auditioned for a part of Barry one time and it just didn't work out. But uh, I'm such a massive fan of of Matt Berry. Uh, Huge, huge fan. And uh, he asked me to do Toast Goes to Tinseltown and I was like, I can't make it out. Uh, to London. It was very normal kind of Matt thing. So I was like, oh, they're coming to Hollywood. And he was like, 
Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, But uh, so I, yeah, I was on a laptop and um, shirtless, which is sad. Um, Sorry, everybody had to see that. Um, But, uh, and yeah, that you talk about corpse scene, that was the thing I could not get through. There's a line where it cuts back to me and I have uh, a David Bowie, Aladdin Sane wig on. I don't know if you saw the episode and I'm wearing this David Bowie talent and and I say I'm like a producer and I say yeah I'm going to a David Bowie themed party tonight and Toe says I did think you looked a bit different <laughs> oh, oh. I I could not get through it every time he did it I would start laughing <laughs> that kind of I did think you looked a bit different. <laughs> so he's he's just one of my yeah favorite. I mean, over here in the states, just so you know, like people on the know, like Paul Rudd and Larry David, and I mean, so many people were just like in awe of Matt Berry. And then he came to an SNL once and was so shy and kind of am I in the way? And and I was like, don't you realize everybody here is like a massive fan of yours? And he was like, you know, he was just very sweet. Oh, I love that. I love that everyone has a Matt Berry impression as well. That's so. That's oh, yeah. So well, I got it from Garth Marenghi, <laughs> Dr. Lucian Sanchez. It's, uh, he's like, yeah, what does he say? Hello, Liz. You're a woman. <laughs> and, uh, me and Simon Pegg, we did a movie together and all the time. We, when we see each other to this day, we go, hello, buddy. <laughs> Why, hello, buddy. When you and I, when I first started this hospital, I was strictly solo. You were the first real buddy I ever had. But if you and he were to be buddies. Yeah, we would do that for hours. <laughs> That's amazing. That's made my day. Gotham Rangi is like... I apologize, a stupid yank trying to do a good no. accent. I apologize if that's... That's perfect. Theory. It's perfect. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Garth Marenghi is our Criterion channel. So. Oh, my God. Garth Marenghi. I saw that my first season of SNL, and I just was like, I will never, ever get to do anything remotely close to this in my career. This is the funniest thing ever. And the clo- we try to do our kind of weird version of it in a show called Documentary Now, trying to recreate that a look. But the, I don't think that idea would ever even occur to us if we hadn't seen Garth Marenghi. Oh, yeah. that's brilliant I'm glad I'm glad it leapt over the point as it did um Bill this has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for speaking yeah, no, thank you yeah no thank you that was really nice that was Bill Hader and time now for this week's reviews first up this week we have 10% uh you will have heard us talk before about call my agent on this very podcast and by we I mean Boyd uh but <laughs> But the French language show, which of course about the absurd antics of actors and their agents, uh, which is awash with excellent cameos. Um, well, its English language adaptation arrives this week on Prime Video. But the question is, can it hold a candle to the original? Boyd. Yes. Uh, thank you. And let's move on. Um, no. Um, it. There's a real jug- there's a real juggling act going on in this show. So as you say, this is. I think the official words that Prime Video are using are inspired by the French original. Right. Call my agent. Um, so this is it is a London set set in you know in this liter in this agency this actors agency in the middle of Soho in London, um, and it's a uh, company run by Jack Davenport's character Jonathan, um, and his dad, and it, it, it kind of follows quite closely the storylines at least initially of the French original, and yet it's also imbued with the tone 
and skills of its showrunner, John Morton, who you will know from. I'm a huge fan of. He created W1A in 2012, um, which were both brilliant um, BBC comedies about yeah. um, you know the BBC itself and about the Olympics. He also said years ago, he did brilliant, brilliant. He did a show called People Like Us, which is one of my favourite um, kind of cult comedies of all time. Broken News. I'm a massive fan of John Morton. And his real skill is in kind of making fun of um, satirizing, this might be too strong a word almost, almost like pastiching great institutions and the people who run them and work in them, like the BBC and the Olympics, etc. And in a small way, in, in this way, kind of show business, actors, um, agents, publicists, etc. And this is what this, the kind of, and this is the kind of tissue of this show, if you like, which he can absolutely handle, you know, brilliantly. He loves nothing better. In the interview, I think we next week, we, I interviewed Jack Davenport and him together for this, which I think we're running next week. We are. And I said to him, he loves a meeting. Like, you know, in one of the most hilarious aspects of W1A and 2012, where the big, they would have a big meeting and all these kind of doofuses around the table. And the language that, are, that is used and the hierarchies, how the hierarchies play out and how people say the same things repeatedly in every single meeting we were ever attended. That workplace meeting thing, he does so brilliantly. And that is very apparent in 10%. So it's kind of like if you've watched Call My Agent, you will recognise, particularly in the first couple of episodes. So, for example, the first episode revolves around um, Kelly McDonald playing herself. Um, she's a she's, she thinks she's been cast in a big new franchise Hollywood blockbuster, but in fact, the producers want her to look younger and they want her to do something with herself physically to make herself look younger. And it's all about will she sell out to them? Uh, how the, her agent is kind of um, furious and is embarrassed and doesn't want to deal with it. Wants to is from avoiding confrontation at all times. Her agent Dan, played by Prasanna Puanaraja, um, brilliantly, by the way. And it's all about hack, and that is taken absolutely from the first episode of the French version. The French version pretty much has the same storyline. Right. But the way it plays out is slightly different and then you've got, in, and it brings in other story threads that aren't in the French version. So for me, I think they've, they've done exactly the right thing. It feels like a John Morton show. If you've never seen um, Call My Agent, which lots of people haven't, you know, it's on Netflix, it's in French, it's got subtitles. For various people won't necessarily have watched it. If you've never seen it, this will feel like a hour-long comedy drama, pretty much comedy with dramatic elements, yeah. set in the world of agents and actors, which is really funny and interesting in any way, brilliantly observed by him with his with his obsessions for big meetings and cliches and the way that people talk in talk nonsense half the time. Absolutely all there there and present. If you have watched um Call My Agent Call My Agent, you can't I think you'll still enjoy the ways that this is slightly different and the London setting and the brilliantly drawn characters, particularly like Lydia Leonard as Rebecca, who's horrible and nasty to her underlings, and at the same time um is kind of sleeping with loads of women on dating apps and she's brilliant. <laughs> Maggie Steed as Stella, who's like the grand dame of the of the company, is phenomenal, and with a little yappy dog that gets, really gets on Jack <laughs> Davenport's character's nerves. Um, and Hiftu Kwasem plays Misha, who's like the newcomer who arrives, and she's got a secret that I won't reveal and spoil. Into the office, she just wants a job in this world, even though she has no experience whatsoever and doesn't know any actors or anything. It's just really well observed. It's funny. It's completely convincing. It it, it gets the authenticity of this world. And, you know, we all, I think, deal with agents every day of our lives, probably to some extent, and publicists have all been on sets of films where they're there and being annoying and difficult and manipulative. They probably, they, I'm sure they think journalists are big wankers as well. But it just has that whole interface between publicists and actors and everyone else. And it just gets, it just nails it so well. I, I really enjoyed it. Yes. I uh, don't share the same... Okay. Uh, I just didn't watch the French version, so I don't. Right. I've, I'm coming into this brand spanking new, mm. but got 
absorbed into this world really easily. And I think it does sort of help that we <laughs> have to deal with a lot of talent agents or people from that industry quite a lot as well. So it was really interesting to see this, you know, obviously embellished, but also, let's be honest, rooted in reality yeah. kind of glimpse at your, your Curtis Browns and your CAAs and things. And um, yeah, I just found it really absorbing and interesting and brittily funny and I loved how robust all the characters were I've had half an eye on this Harry uh, Trevaldwin who um, I I mean I've only seen the first episode so far and he's only been in a few scenes but has been incredibly watchable in everything he's been in so far he's he's got a real face on him hasn't he oh incredible face yeah Yeah. he's in the bubble that um, they're not very good but he is the standout in that film interesting yeah Yeah. great face great comedic presence Um, a very subtle tone I think as well it isn't just kind of raucous It's, it's not like Steve Coogan kind of comedy or anything like that it is a lot more subtle. Jack Davenport, I think this is a great role for him mm. um, as well. I'm, I'm going to watch more. I've only seen half an hour, but so far, yeah, I find it really enthralling, funny, light, not very sweet, but I think that's the whole point, isn't it, really? Um, and yeah, just found it very easy to get absorbed in this world. Um, that is basically on our doorstep as well. I thought it was quite fun, quite quite literally, you know, so it's very close to here and yeah. it's fun to kind of yeah. see all the different, the different streets and things. But yeah, having not seen the French version, despite being told to multiple <laughs> times, probably once by your point, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't draw a comparison, but I've liked it so far. And where did Call My Agent air? Was it also Prime? Netflix. It was Netflix. Yeah, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So that was on Netflix. <laughs> this is Prime Video. Uh, yeah. This one all drops in one go on the 28th of April. Uh, next up this week, we've got Shining Girls on Apple TV+, Plus, which, as you've heard, obviously stars Elizabeth Moss uh, as a survivor of an assault who's on a mission to unmask her attacker, uh, a task made slightly more challenging by the fluid nature of her reality. Beth, tell us all about Shining Girls. Yes. So, Elizabeth Moss, Apple TV+, Plus, traumatising source material. Yeah. I will say I was a bit sceptical when I... Uh, another one you know like I always say with these cop shows or detective shows you just want to see every detective have a nice time just want to see Elizabeth Moffat having a laugh <laughs> yeah. just like just having a you're not going to see that she doesn't get to do that a lot no. though does but she but this is you know? it so when I saw Shining Girls and I saw that you know the very moody upsetting trailer and oh no you know oh she's traumatised horrible things have happened to her in her past she's a she's a victim you know survivor of assault and she's living through it and she's working through this like you know mindset and working through emotions in very dramatic ways and I was like I just want to see her take a night off <laughs> and just have a beer and not be you know the product of all these things that like horrible things that have happened to her um, and then I watched it and ultimately loved it so yes this is based on say so this was based on um, a novel 2013 novel and I watched this this morning as well I would not recommend <laughs> a breakfast uh, viewing of this show because hmm. it starts in a really fucking creepy flashback like it's really subtle it's not graphic it, but it's but yeah creepy horrible flashback and then it comes to Chicago in the early 90s I'm quite interested in the culture of that time anyway and and she's really into like grunge music and um like the the kind of fashion or thing tethered to that I find it really really interesting and, and fun um and it's goes quite noiry from there um which is a new thing I think for her um so she's being called in by this long-standing detective who so she's she'd had this grisly horrible attack um 
and she's called upon by this detective to kind of come in and try and help out because the killer or the her attacker it seems is still on the loose and they're trying to kind of track this person down and find them and she's trying to help as best she can while also yeah trying to navigate through the aftermath of what he's done to her which manifests in her reality slipping from her every now and then um and it's just like it's kind of fail proof really in in a way like she is such what one of our like the the finest performers i think working now like i I loved her interview with you and and you getting to kind of explore that performance as well like she is just so effortlessly like watch when everything that she does she's got another (laughs) very different face from uh Mm. (laughs) from harry but like just such uh, she's got such a skittish demeanor, and but also is like super placid and doesn't give very much away. But at the same time, you feel every inch of emotion that she is kind of dealing with at the time. And I'm sure it's not a coincidence that she does choose these extremely challenging roles because it really does suit her capabilities as an actor. Maybe she wouldn't be very good as you know the star of a rom com, <laughs> you know, dancing up on tables. I don't know. I'll wait to see it, but. She's exceptional. The writing in this is great. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I've only, again, I've only watched an episode of this so far, but it has a really, so so a great ensemble cast as well, kind of lifting her up. So um, Wagner Mora, who I don't know very much about, but apparently he's, a, he's big in Brazil, as um, this uh, journalist that works at the same paper that she does, who is uh, trying to, also trying to weigh in and solve this um, crime spree that this attacker is, is kind of carrying out on Chicago. Uh, and then Jamie Bell is, uh, yeah, the perpetrator in the creepy, horrible flashback in the introduction. And then he's also up to something not very nice mm. uh, at all. And it's horrible, but my God, is he good in this? I, it is one of those, you know, it, it makes your skin crawl, but at the same time, and it's really unnerving to see little Billy Elliot being mm-hmm. horrible to women and in the most manipulative, subtle cat and mouse kind of way. But God, he's, he's alarmingly good at this. Yeah, loved it. Loved the first episode. I'm going to watch um, I'm going to watch all this, but oh, I'm going to have to pace myself. Cause... What's quite interesting, though, and I've not read Lauren Buke's book, but I knew a decent amount about it, Yeah, is that, and this is something, again, I love, I'm not going to start going on, oh, Apple is so good. I just, I love the way <laughs> with these, I, I'm going to say, with these type of shows on these type of streaming platforms, I love that they are so unhurried in presenting the plot of this. Yeah. Like, because there is a very specific, and we're all tiptoeing around it, which actually, early on when this was announced, no one, they, the plot was just out there as a synopsis of the show. But actually, they make a real effort. Like, at the end of the first episode, you do not know what the plot of this is, and you do yeah. not want to know what the device is. And they very slow hint and eke it out and it's not until the very end of the first episode that you really realise that something is definitely amiss and I, I love that mm. I yeah. think that's genius well, they, they luxuriate that, in it more than that they uh, first of all I would say to people do not Google Yeah. do not go anywhere near the book description yeah. it's actually the book if you go onto the Google oh. page the, the Wikipedia page of the book it, yeah. it re- reveals it gives everything yeah. everything in oh the first gosh. sentence whereas this script brilliantly but Silka Louisa is, is the showrunner on the show, and um, she has decided to withhold key bits of information that the book, I think, reveals very quickly. Yeah. And it's a genius move. So, in right. fact, it's not until the end... I've watched the first four episodes, and it's not until the end of the episode four that you kind of suddenly realise what's going on, right. pretty much. Mm. Right. Um, and... All along the way, it's unbelievably gripping. Yeah. Um, even d- despite not really knowing what the fuck's going on, yeah. 
And it's quite discombobulating and confusing. Oh, completely. Because not only have you got the mystery of what the fuck is happening with Elizabeth Moss's character, she's endured this trauma of being physically attacked, of being stabbed, and she survives. But it's completely discombobulated her mind. She's done twice in one sentence. So she, her reality is it shifts and she doesn't know what's yeah. real and what's not real yeah. and what's happening now and what's not happening now. But we share that and Which that's we share the genius completely, Exactly, yeah. yeah, right. So we share that completely. There's also what the fuck is going on with him, with Jamie Bell's character, mm. yeah. um, uh, again, which which takes a long time to play out in an incredibly gripping way. So I think, yeah, the, as, a, as a piece of adap- adaptation of a book, it's fucking brilliant and so clever. She is astonishing, like Ugh. completely this closed in kind of like because of what's happened to her woman and how every now and bits of it, he, the, his character, the Wagner Moura um, reporter guy, who I think he, he, uh, is phenomenal, he, get, he kind of gets his own episode. Okay. I think it's episode three yeah where you find out more about him and you realize what's going on with him he's got a whole thing going on himself yeah and that's brilliantly done yeah. unbelievably well done yeah. as well it is absolutely brilliant i think it's one of the best things i've seen this year um and it's so exciting that it's it the, the way it's made is so meticulous and she yeah. you know she knows what she's doing so well as well it's such a different role for her and I love the fact that in the, my favourite bit of when I was talking to her was, I was slightly skirting around the fact that... This, I should be, should be clear, when Paul was talking magazine. to her in the magazine, yes. Yes. not so, on the podcast. No, sorry, so I'm interviewed for the podcast, so I interviewed for Empire Magazine out now. Um, I, I, for, it looks incredibly like Seven. Like, it's got, in yeah. terms yeah. of the, the colour palette, mm. the, 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 the the way the shot, it feels very fintresque, and I kind of was like treading around it, should I mention so not? You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm not accusing you of ripping it off, but I was like, it feels a bit like Seven. She went, oh, I'm so glad you said that. Because we had a <laughs> big meeting and I went let's do it like a David Fincher film she yeah. literally that was literally what they yeah. decided to do yeah. and it is this eight hour fucking brilliant David Fincher-esque yeah. seven-esque because one of my favourite films of all time it's so beautifully done yeah. it's so gripping and does not shy away from really really horrible stuff by the way it's quite gets quite traumatic to watch and you know throughout oh good it's it's yeah it's quite astonishing I, I, it's it, you're right like you know when you when i first went to watch it i was like you know does the world need another serial killer thriller whatever mm, but, but it's it really not does. just another it's serial so killer thriller. yeah exactly yeah. it's yeah. it's completely unique i'm actually with you on this boydy this is definitely going to be in the running for one of my shows of this year i predict i thought this was absolutely outstanding uh, completely compelling incredible incredibly addictive watching and as I said I've not read the book but I know a decent amount about it and it seems that they've made some very clear very deliberate changes and I applaud each and every single one of them I think the way they pace this the way they draw it out the way they've structured it is magnificent I love the fact that you always feel that you're sort of five or six steps behind the plot like you're always just trying to play catch up like what is it what's going on I'm not quite sure and it makes this so addictive add to that the performance at the centre of it obviously Elizabeth Moss is fantastic at playing traumatised people we know this but she does an incredible job here because there's a steeliness at the heart of her a real sort of like a real hardness that's kind of been forged from all this trauma that she's gone through and she kind of sets out to sort of set it right to find this guy and there's a fearlessness about her character Kirby as well uh I genuinely I have not been this gripped watching something in a very very long time so I implore all of you to watch this show if you get the chance it's it is great and Shining Girls drops on Apple TV Plus on the 29th of April. Finally this week, we have got HBO's Barry, which returns for its third season and stars Bill Hader as a professional killer who comes to LA and, as all people do, gets caught up in the acting scene. Uh, Boydy, are you balmy for Barry? <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Brilliant. It's British that you've ever said. Yeah. 
Um, I do really like Barry, actually. But you know what? It's I think this is three years, is it? Three years since the last series? It's been a while. I think roughly, it's been, it's been a, a long while. time. So I completely forgot what the fuck happened in the last <laughs> series of Barry, I have to say. I'm not alone. I was so I was overjoyed. I, I, do you know what? I actually haven't made a note. I was looking up um, reviews of Barry. Yeah. Um, and, and an American review makes the point, I think it might be Rolling Stone or something like that. Anyway, I, right. I should start taking notes as I say every week. This, this critic said, I couldn't remember anything about the characters, what happened in previous series. <laughs> <laughs> but I still just love it anyway. And yeah. that's kind of how I feel about it. Well, I haven't watched, I, I mean, because right. we reviewed season one. Yes. So I watched the first, I thought this is great, I must watch more yeah. of this, and didn't. Right. So I got into this and literally had no fucking clue who anyone was no. or what was going well, on. And I, mean, I still enjoyed it. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't really brush up and I didn't really kind of go back and, you know, I have watched them all, but you, you don't need to because the whole kind of idea of it, which is that this hitman has almost accidentally ended up in Hollywood kind of wanted to become an actor yeah. meeting a woman who definitely wants to become an actor being taught by Henry Winkler who is a complete doofus actor egomaniac and somehow they've all got involved with kind of like drug dealing people from you know all over the world yeah. Chechnya Mexico there's a whole druggy gangstery thing going on like almost like a sideline which is a bit like Better Call Saul in fact yeah. right? in, in many ways <laughs> yeah. um, and not that, that whole world and narcos you know all of that but it doesn't really matter and I don't really care about all of those but actually they're all really, really interesting characters. Yeah. Like the main Chechnyan uh, gangster guy is fa- gets a whole fascinating, takes a whole fascinating new turn in this series that I'm not going to give anything away. No Ho Hank. Yeah, I love No Ho Hank. No Ho Hank, absolutely brilliant. And it's just it, like, you know, it, it's beautifully filmed. Bill Hader, I think, directs a lot yeah. of it, if not most of it. Yeah. Um, and co-writes it with Alec Berg. Alec Berg, which is a, a Seinfeld <laughs> reference in Seinfeld. Alec Berg. They kept calling his name Alec <laughs> Berg. He worked on Seinfeld. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's it's just beautifully done. Yeah. It's it's less funny, I think, maybe than like, oh, it's it horrible. Like, this season's horrible. Yeah, it's quite horrible, yeah. isn't it? And um, kind of tense, I would say, more yeah. than anything. Whereas I seem to remember from what I remember of the early episodes, it was pretty funny. It was pretty much an out-and-out comedy yeah. to my mind. Anyway, I mean, we have. The, I'm sure James will have this debate. Is it a comedy? <laughs> Is it a drama? Is it a thriller? What the fuck? I mean, it doesn't matter. But I would say I was surprised by how dramatic and tense and kind of better call Saul-y it was really yeah. in fact in some ways better call Saul's funnier than this anyway um, <laughs> and that's not I'm not that's not this it doesn't really matter it doesn't it's not clearly not bothered what genre it is it's just really interesting storytelling really well drawn characters yeah. um, and what the world they're in now in this third season is fascinating there's loads of brilliant stuff about making a TV show for a streamer and there's kind of jokes about you know there's jokes about Netflix in it Um, there's stuff about you know those meetings between creatives and producers and the writers of of, of TV that are fascinating so it's kind of insidery quite but in a really funny entertaining way and yet at the same time really quite scary and he is being particularly um, scary Bill Hader's Barry mm, yeah. in this season so I remembered him being cuddlier at yeah, the beginning right. like, there's yeah. a bit at the I beginning mean, of this assassin. where it's really brutal yeah he yeah. is a fucking assassin let's not forget but it's. I guess it's kind of all about you know to how can he resolve his assassin background and in fact still going foreground yeah. with his desire to be an actor yeah. in you know and be a bit creative and all of that and it's fascinating yeah it's it's interesting coming to this season because you watch it and you actually think about who this character is. He's an ex-Marine who was broken by war, who was a hired assassin, who is trying with all his might to get on the right path and has found this creative outlet that brings him joy, but it's still not enough 
to actually fix him and he's yeah. putting all his hopes on fixing him and when it doesn't fix him the the kind of outcome is is disastrous and bloody and horrible and so you look at them and you're like well of course he's going to behave this way but you so desperately want him to be a good person you actually end up getting really quite upset when you do see him actually succumb to the products of all the things mm. that have happened to him, which do result in some actually quite uncomfortable moments in this first in the first few episodes yeah. at least. Um, but then at the same time, it does still have the heart that it's kept from the other two seasons. It's just now balancing balancing that out with some much darker stuff. And I'm quite interested to see that from Bill Hader, especially, given the other thing I've seen him in recently is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, <laughs> that amazing episode. He's always yeah. such a funny... He's, he's a genius, he's a comedic genius. Is the way that he's able to incorporate characters and push them into new comedic territory is always really fascinating to me. He's so watchable, he's so likable. You know, he's always kind of cashed in on being quite a nice guy. And yet here to see him become really flinty and uncontrollable and have these impulses that just could could really go anyway is is so interesting to watch and then you've got the usual melange of characters who I adore Noho Hank I think is an absolutely brilliant creation of a character I would love to we ran out of time sadly but I would have absolutely loved to have heard more about the the influences for Noho Hank who does get his own really I mean he's kind of had this just everything about him is so (laughs) fucking funny Mm -hmm. and like just a camp kind of wonderful sweet natured criminal just so that like yeah. it's, it's just such an interesting premise to me and what they've done with him in this season is really interesting Sarah Goldberg as Sally um, I haven't really seen her in much else or anything mm. before that and she's super interesting we've got um, Elsie Fish has joined the season this time who was wonderful in 8th grade um, and she's joined um, and has a really interesting kind of front row seat to Barry's demise as this kind of newcomer, which is really cool. But yeah, it's uncomfortable. I I will watch this to the bitter end. Mm. I uh I really adore this show. And I'm again it's another one where I've just I've backed Bill Hader for a long time and I love to see him doing something where he just completely flourishes on his own. Mm. Um yeah, big fan. It's glorious. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, this is Sky Comedy, in fact, yeah. so that should uh, settle the debate over <laughs> yes. what genre it is. And this begins on the 25th of April at 9.45pm. What else is out this week? Boydie, Knots and Crosses returns yes. for a second season. I didn't even, didn't even know that was coming back, but that comes back to BBC iPlayer on the 26th of April. If anyone is still watching Grey's Anatomy after 18 years, wow. <laughs> the second half of wow. season 18 of uh, Grey's Anatomy uh, drops on Sky Witness on the 27th of April. Dollface, which I fucking hated, but you and Terry rather liked. Oh, yeah. uh, that's on Disney Plus from the 27th as well. Uh, Grace and Frankie, the final part of the final season season of Grace and Frankie comes to Netflix on the 29th of April and the final part of the final <laughs> season of Ozark comes to Netflix also on the 29th of April so that's a, that's a big day for endings it is a big day there's also Peacock which is in, in, in any other week we could we couldn't should have reviewed which is a new comedy on BBC Three from the writers of People Just Do Nothing and starring Alan Mustafa from People Just Do Nothing as a personal trainer an utter doofus of a personal <laughs> trainer and it's a kind of very funny kind of rom-com kind of exploration of the whole world of personal training something James I think you and I oh, yes. both know 
very much a lot. I, I have all the personal yeah. trainers. So many yeah. personal trainers. Yeah. Yes. Um, but that gym culture, <laughs> I thought it was a really clever idea because gym culture has taken over. I mean, if you go, I said this to my friend I'm out with in New York. New York now, there's no bookshops left or, you know, like um, record shops. They've all gone. There's just gyms and kind of some gaming stores and, you know, cafes and coffee shops, yeah. basically. That's about it. But gyms, every fucking street corner, there's about eight gyms. Um, yeah. So that's that show, and it's really fun. I've seen it. Peacock is all about that world. Here we go is another BBC sitcom starting on Friday on BBC One. And this is created by Tom Basden, who plays um, Ricky Gervais's um, brother-in-law in Afterlife and is brilliant talent. He wrote it and stars in it. And the brilliant twist of it, there was a one-off um, a few years ago called Pandemonium about a family um, trying to go on holiday um, after the after the um, global pandemic. Right. But they've forgotten that now. And that's called Here We Go. And it's the same family. Really good cast. Alison Stebman, um, lots of really good people. Um, but it's all filmed by the son of the family. So he's like filming the whole thing yeah. for his project, for his yeah. like media studies project. So that's the kind of quite interesting gimmick of it. But it's a really, really good show. Starts on Friday, BBC One, 8.30. I'm just leafing through this copy of my magazine now. I think that's mainly it. Apart from there is a program called Searching for Michael Jackson Zoo with Ross Kemp on ITV on Wednesday. No, I think no. we'll give that one a miss, <laughs> shall we? Yeah. I mean, just saying. Big of the week. Oh, don't make me do it. I'm going to make you do it, Beth. Go I'm on. I'm going to do Shining Girls because I'm, I'm always about Barry. That's kind of a given, but this, yeah. this gets my pick of the week. It's a good week, but Shining Girls. I think yeah. it's astonished, definitely. Shining Girls then on Apple TV+. Plus. Right, that is it for this episode of the podcast. As ever, we are very much open to your five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify and whatever other service you choose to listen to us on. If you would like to follow at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter and Instagram, there is a variety of content, not to mention invitations to things like the upcoming Bosch show, uh, which you should all attend. <laughs> uh, please do come along. It'd be nice to see you there. If you'd like to follow us individually at Boyd Hilton, I should put him first now because he's got the most followers, at James C. Dyer and at Beth K. Webb. And next week, you've already heard, but Boyd will be talking to Jack Davenport and John Morton for 10%. But more importantly, Boyd, more importantly... Yes. And we didn't mention this in, in the also outs, but Star Trek Prodigy... Oh, Yes. Yes, that's right. right. Which is, let's be honest, it's kids' Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy comes to Nickelodeon on the 25th at 6 p.m., at the very civilized time of 6 p.m. But more importantly, Boyd, more importantly, I I sat down with Ella Purnell, (laughs) hashtag justice for Jackie, Ella Purnell. (laughs) And Kate fucking Mulgrew, yeah. Captain Janeway herself, <laughs> to talk partially Star Trek. To Odyssey, talk about your let's be obsession honest. and your love <laughs> yeah. of animated yes. spin-offs. Do you know what we get on? We got into that. Amazing. We got into that. So we had oh, a wait. Star Trek interview. It was it was a blast. I got to meet Captain Janeway. It was amazing. Uh, so do tune in for that, and also tune in for the fact that we will be reviewing the modern masterpiece that is. Bosch Legacy. Whoa. Uh, yes, that's right. Bosch is back. <laughs> so wait a minute. We're Bosch is back. a show that you are hosting a screening for. Yeah, yeah. Um, with yeah. Cast. Okay, a conflict yeah, of I'm interest, sure. Boyd, you will be in no way familiar no. with. <laughs> yeah, you'll be very objective about that. I will. As I always am. I will. Until then, pilot out.